The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Through towns and villages, Jesus went teaching, making his way to Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Sir, will there be only a few saved? He said to them, Try your best to enter by the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not succeed. Once the master of the house has gone up and locked the door, you may find yourself knocking on the door saying, Lord, open to us. But he will answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you will find yourself saying, We once ate and drank in your company. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know where you come from. Away from me, all you wicked men. Then there will be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourself turned outside. And men from east and west, from north and south, will come to take their places at the feasts in the kingdom of God. Yes, there will be those now last who will be first, and those now first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think today invites us to, I guess, re refortify our sense of what we call the kerygma, the basic, basic proclamation of our faith, that Jesus is Lord. If this is good news, then this is the commission we're given. Go out to all the world and tell the good news. Leave no one, you know, uh, don't, don't let anyone go astray without hearing this bold proclamation. And I think, you know, if, if that's our very identity, because you ask yourself, why does the church exist? Well, it exists to evangelize. It doesn't actually exist to feed the poor or to, you know what I mean? Those are works of mercy and, and they're good and, and the church should not abstain from doing that. The church ought to feed the poor. But if the church is not in some way bearing witness to the person of Jesus who gives her birth, you know, um, to whom she is wed, well, the church has sort of lost its, its identity, hasn't it? It just becomes another NGO out there. There's plenty of, there's plenty of organizations that feed the poor. Um, there's plenty of organizations that are humanitarian, but the church is meant to be more than that, has a, has a kind of higher anchor. And its anchor is in heaven because our concern, as strange as it might sound, is salvation, whatever exactly that means. The word comes from health, you know, salvos is health, and this is the fullness of health, health that never, ever decays, life that never ends. John 10.10, 10, I came that they would have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus desires to give this to us, and then he employs us to, to go and give it to the rest of the world as well. Go out to all the nations and, and teach the good news, it says. So I think we need to ask ourselves, what is this kerygma? And what's so good about it? You know, is it good enough to, to occupy ourselves with, to tell everyone about? What is the good news? What is our hope? Because, you know, there are churches that have, to use the technical terms, they have, they have different soteriology, you know, a different way that salvation is worked out. And one of them, as you would have heard, is this prosperity gospel, you know, oh, follow God and you'll be blessed and you'll have a big bank account and you'll have a big house. And it's like, did Jesus say that? I don't think he said that. In fact, he said, sell all you have and, and follow me. You know, it's quite the opposite. And, and, and yet that doesn't sound like good news, does it? Just, just walk around like a beggar. So what is it? And why would we dare, firstly, to believe it ourselves? 
and then to invite other people to it. I think the response we sometimes get is, oh, you've got religion, that's good for you. You know, if it makes you happy, good, I don't, you can do what you want, each to their own. But we would say, no, this is for you as well. I don't know, I think we, I think we need to take that to our own meditation and put our roots deeper into it. Certainly it involves a cross, and, and I think we all know that. And I think we know that when we see Jesus, the crucified one, the cross becomes much more than an instrument of torture and death. It becomes the tree of life uh, from where we are fed with fruit that never, never withers. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And he also says, I've come that you'd bear fruit, you know, um, not that you'd die in agony. One of the wonderful claims that we make as Christians is that Jesus enters into a frail world where, where sin and shame and death and things like that are part of it, and he conquers them. And in fact, it says, until the last enemy is subordinated unto him, and that's death itself. Some of our hymns say, um, death by death was, was overrun. Um, there's this one hymn that says, life, which is Jesus, life and death were brought into a, I'm going to ruin the poetry because it, it rhymed and it was really powerful, but it said, life and death were brought into a kind of combat, and both of them went to their ultimate extreme. So death just died completely, and life became utterly alive. You know, imagine them both bursting at the seams in, the, in their respective directions. Well, which way are we going? Death is part of our pilgrimage, but it is not the end. It is not the end. If it is, let's pack up and go home, because we're kidding ourselves here. But no, Jesus came, died, rose bodily, gathered to himself, body, bodies, us, flesh. You know, I was saying to the kids at St. John's the other day, when you hug your great-great-great-grandma in the fullness of time in heaven, you're going you're gonna to hug her body. You're going to feel her body warmth. You're going to smell the ginger cookies on her sweater. You know, because, because Jesus actually loves this world he's created. Um, we have this, sorry, I've taken a huge tangent here, but we don't, um, we don't believe in this dichotomy between body and spirit. You're an enfleshed soul. Your, your body matters. If it didn't, Jesus wouldn't have assumed the virgin lady, our lady. He wouldn't have bothered. Yeah, let her body rot on the ground. But no, all of you is precious. All of you is imago Dei, in the image of your maker. And therefore, it couldn't be more valuable even if you wanted it to be. Um, now, I've gone on a tangent and I forgot what I was going to say next. <laughs> One thing that I that I wanted to say was, um, you look at you look at the the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and it's got that long, strange gene, genealogy. You know, um, uh, Adam begot this guy, and that guy begot that guy, and there's like 14, 14, 14, all these generations of names, some of which we don't have any clue who they are. You can comb the scriptures, and you won't find them. <laughs> so they're they're a bunch of nobodies. That Jesus is saying, I'm their descendant. You think, cool. We don't, we don't know who that is, so good for you. <laughs> um, but, but a similar thing is happening here, you know. And, and as I said to the community this morning, this gospel, it can make us anxious, can't it? In fact, if I was to tell you the truth, this is probably the scariest gospel I can imagine. Because just think about it. We've spent our whole life doing what we think we are to be doing, following the Lord, trying to serve Him, looking for Him in the least, all this stuff, all of it. Praying, coming to Mass, receiving the sacraments, everything. And then you get to the door, and it's locked. And you say, Lord. And he says, who are you? Can you imagine that? 
I can't think of anything more like I just want to self-destruct right now <laughs> get it over with <laughs> um, it's horrifying horrifying image uh, yeah anyway um, so what so so let's walk through the gospel very very let's just pick up the pieces as we go it says um, firstly Isaiah says I'm coming to gather the nations of every language every tribe every people everywhere and it names them Tarshish put Lud, Moshek, etc., etc. These these no-name places that we have no idea where they are. I mean, we do, but we don't right now because we're in Yubobo and we do not care about these these places in the far east or the near east. Um, and it says, um, "I will gather them to my mountain, and they will gather for instruction." It says they're coming to be instructed. Now, listen to this. Isaiah talks about Jerusalem as the true pole of the earth. You know, Jerusalem's going to be where they gather. On Mount Zion is where they're going to all ascend to come to the mountain of the Lord, to, to worship, to adore, to be instructed, to know his ways, to kind of see him unalloyed, but to see him face to face as he really is. Um, and then to be to realize what we really are in his image, all of that. It says here, Jesus was going through the towns and villages, all the different little communities, perhaps different languages, different, um, I don't know, religious baggage that they've all brought with them, different philosophies that they're working out of, different trades that they're occupied with. He's going through all of those places, making his way to where? Jerusalem. And what's he doing as he goes? He's teaching. This is like Isaiah being fulfilled in our hearing. Jesus is precisely doing that. He's gathering them and taking them up the mountaintop, just like they used to follow Moses, just like they used to follow all the prophets. Jesus is gathering a people to himself of every single stripe and color. And one of them asks him, Sir, will there be only a few saved? Now, I think if you were to ask, and probably we even ourselves at times say it, because we want to, who doesn't want to be saved? <laughs> And, and take the saved out of it. Like, who doesn't want to be safe? Who doesn't want to be well, at peace? Um, I want to know that I'm heading somewhere that's peaceful. Even at the end of today, I want to rest somewhere eventually, you know. So, so Jesus, will there be only a few? And I think everything in us would love to say, don't, don't stress, you know, your God loves you. You're, you're going to be fine. And there's truth in that. Our God is a merciful God, right, obviously. Um, God's not neutral about our salvation. He's actually utterly invested in all of us being saved. So it's not like he's on the fence saying, ah, you know, 50-50. <laughs> no, no. He's 100-100, you know, for you. Um, but, but, but somehow it's kind of left in the balance, isn't it? Because it's our freedom matters. And what we want matters. And our God is such a gentleman that if I say, lock the door, don't know who I am, he'll say, I mean, I don't know what he'll say, but I... That is a possibility. Eternal destiny without God is a possibility. Um, and so Jesus says, try your best to enter by the narrow door. Because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not succeed. And, and this, this, this caught me. He says, when, when they come and knock, and he looks at them in the face. And there were many occasions where Jesus was not, not recognized. But, but in this case, it's the other way around. And you think, surely the good shepherd knows his sheep, you know. Like, how could God create someone and not know who they are? But it says here, I don't know where you come from. And you think to yourself, where are the places that they could come from? Tarshish? Put? Lud? Just 
I mean, there's, there's a reason why this is even raised here. Where's Tarshish? If you go to Genesis 10, you'll see all these, these places. Tarshish was a very mineral-rich country on the far side of um, Phoenicia or Lebanon, and it was a place of great export in the early, early world. Right? So he was wealthy. And, and in fact, people think that this is where Solomon got his wealth, his massive, shimmering kingdom. All the, all the silver and stuff is from Tarshish. Maybe. Okay, cool. So you're rich. You're from Tarshish. Cool. Uh, the next place is Put, which is the third son of Ham. Remember that story where um, Ham and Japheth and whatever, and they see their fathers asleep and drunk, and they interfere with, with his wife? I mean, there's, there's some compromise there within the family. Um, Lud, son of Shem, grandson of Noah. Moshek. When you look at Moshek, there's this line where it talks about um, Gog, and the land of Magog, setting themselves to invade Israel. So Moshek is like a threat to God's people. This is where the unknown are from. These, kind of sh these lands that have never known the glory of God. That's what it says in, in Isaiah. I'll send you to these places, distant lands that have never heard of me, have never seen my glory. In other words, I don't know where you're from because you don't know where I'm from. Like We, we don't know each other. We've never, we've never met. We've never dined together, even though you think we have. We've, I've never taught in your streets, because you never listened. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so at some point, you know, the people of Tarshish aren't damned. It's people come from east, west, north, south, the moon. It doesn't matter. But we come, because Christ is gathering us. He's gathering us right now. Let's gather. Let's be drawn with all our history, with all our family, wherever they're all scattered around the world. Um, let's be drawn and let's come to the mountain to, to be instructed. Here at the altar, God does set a banquet for us. He does dine with us. And, and it's not something that he prepares. You know, he didn't go down to Woolies and get a chicken. He prepares his very self for us to eat, to be filled. Let's simply come and be filled and let's draw as well all the nations um, to the peace of God's kingdom.